Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction with Philippe and Naren and Fergal Armstrong. In the episode of Cracking Addiction today, we're going to follow on from our earlier episode where we introduced methamphetamines and talk about the withdrawal management of methamphetamine. Now, classically, methamphetamine withdrawal has been thought of as having three phases, the, the acute phase or the acute crash phase, the middle withdrawal phase, and the, and the late extinction phase, which can sometimes last for, for weeks to months at a time. So going through these one at a time, Fergal, with the acute phase of withdrawal, which is typically thought to last for between five to seven days, what are some of the things we as um, health practitioners should be aware of and, and look out for in this, in this acute phase of methamphetamine withdrawal? Before I go into that, can I just make the point that a lot of people ask me, well, you know, how do you tell if someone actually needs supervised, medically supervised withdrawal from uh, methamphetamine? And the, uh, I have a golden rule that basically if you're using methamphetamine for at least every, once a week, for at least six months, that's when you start getting into the realms of probably needing to get a medically supervised withdrawal. And I think it's more likely that you're going to need a, <clears throat> you're going to need a, a medically supervised withdrawal if you're smoking or injecting it rather than if you're smoking, uh, rather than if you're swallowing an amphetamine type substance. Now, the, the acute phase for methamphetamine withdrawal basically looks like a, a, a severe depressive episode. And I have a, a mnemonic P-A-N-T-S, PANTS, to describe methamphetamine withdrawal. And P stands for psychomotor uh, retardation or agitation. A stands for appetite increase. N stands for nightmares. T stands for tremors. And S stands for sedation and sleep. And basically, uh, you know, from a practical point of view, they, patients in methamphetamine withdrawal spend <clears throat> at least three to four days doing nothing but lying in bed sleeping. Now, why does that need medically supervised? Well, the answer is sometimes <clears throat> I've seen patients be so psychomotor re retarded that they don't get out of bed to eat or drink. Now, eating, not eating for five days is, is not a problem, but not drinking is a different issue. So that's why it needs to be medically supervised sometimes, I think, because you, you need to have regular nursing observations and you need to be encouraged to drink water at the very least. Have, what's your take on that, on that, that acute bed-bound, couch-locked phase of methamphetamine withdrawal? It is largely based on symptomatic management and supporting the patient through the withdrawal. So it is very much about that supportive care and looking after patients during this, this phase. And you're right, Fergal, usually it is that acute crash. So patients are, are, are hypersomnolent. So they are, they are sleeping, they are lethargic, they're probably catching up on a lot of sleep that they have missed um, during the heavy use of methamphetamine preceding the immediate withdrawal as well. So this is very much the time period where patients are, are, are getting some of that, that, that sleep back and they are quite um, sedated and, and drowsy. And sometimes in the withdrawal unit, when we see patients as well, we do prescribe um, symptomatic medications, but we also do prescribe sometimes some, some low-dose diazepam for some of the patients who may be feeling a bit agitated as well. I must hasten to add that this is very time limited. So this is not an ongoing prescription of, of benzodiazepines, which sometimes we see in the community for, for methamphetamine withdrawal. 
our limitations are usually within a five-day period or a seven-day period and no more than, say, 30 milligrams a day. And this is in an inpatient setting, I must say, not outpatient setting. So, but very much so, I, I agree with what you said about the symptomatic supporting management of, of patients who are largely kind of crashing post uh, their heavy methamphetamine use. Would you, would you agree with some of the things that I've mentioned there, Fergal? Yeah, I also think it's important to make the point that you don't give diazepam to someone who's crashed, right? So when yes. they're actually couch bedlocked and crashed and they're, you know, they're, they're resembling, you know, severe depression and they're not eating and drinking, that's not the time to be giving them diazepam. The key time to be giving them the, the diazepam, even though we tried it from the mission PRN, but, you know, the PRN really comes into its own because the key time to give the diazepam is when they're awakening from that crash phase and they're starting to get agitated. And that's when they really are becoming uh, uh, agitated. And that's when they start to experience cravings. <clears throat> and that can happen day three, day four, day five, day six, when they really just want to get out of there and go home and start using again. That's when the diazepam kicks in as well. But yeah, absolutely. The point that has to be made that the use of diazepam in addiction medicine is generally frowned upon in the community, but it is the mainstay of treatment for inpatient, acute inpatient detox management. So I certainly would not recommend maintenance diazepam to help with uh, the cravings of methamphetamine use in the community. Its role, I think, is strictly limited to inpatient medicine. And it has to be timed appropriately in the context of patients being regularly monitored, regularly observed and supervised. And I think the point that you've just mentioned, Fergal, probably just does need to be reiterated that third time, which is that the role of diazepam in methamphetamine withdrawal is time limited. Too often, I think I've, I've been asked by, say, our, our GP colleagues or um, other health practitioners for advice on, on patients who are using methamphetamine and seem to have an ongoing prescription for for benzodiazepines to deal with withdrawal symptoms. And this is a recipe for disaster and probably a recipe for an iatrogenic benzodiazepine dependence for someone who is using a stimulant and then subsequently using benzodiazepines to, to help with dealing with the consequences of too much stimulant use as well. So just to reiterate to our colleagues, the role of benzodiazepines in the community should, well, there is no role for benzodiazepines in the community management of methamphetamine withdrawal, and we use it in inpatient settings on a time-limited manner, and no one leaves our withdrawal units for methamphetamine use disorder with an ongoing script for benzodiazepines. So I just, I, I don't want to belabor the point, but, but it is something I get asked quite a bit, and I just want to reiterate yeah. that point. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. Yeah. At the risk of laboring the point for the fourth time, <laughs> Let, let's move on, shall we? <laughs> so we, sure. we've talked about the um, we've talked about the acute phase, you know, that that absolute crash phase, that probably a week. We, you know, it's usual, certainly in my experience, for patients to spend a week in a detox and then be discharged. What happens then, Philippe? Well, the patient is probably then within that middle phase of withdrawal that we were talking about at the start of the episode. So we've dealt with the acute crash and then the middle phase, which can last for a, a, a period of, of weeks and up to, up to a month or, or six weeks, where the patient still has some ongoing craving for methamphetamine. There's still possibly the, the, um, 
the possibility of kind of ongoing mood disturbance, particularly anxiety and depression post coming off the methamphetamine and the alterations in the neurochemicals post the withdrawal of the methamphetamine. And usually I find patients' sleep cycles are still very disturbed. So we know that patients who use methamphetamine automatically will have a bit of a disrupted sleep cycle as a function of their, their drug use. And usually around that time, the patient is still struggling with the disturbed sleep cycle, which can be quite depressing and distressing for the patient. And, um, and then uh, as, a, as an adjunct to that will further impact their mood and impact their function. So just because someone's gone through their acute phase of withdrawal and maybe being discharged from a detox center, doesn't mean that they're not out of the woods yet and doesn't mean that they're still not struggling with the repercussions or consequences of their methamphetamine use. Would you Would you yeah. agree with that, Fergal? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'd like to highlight the following couple of points. That um, Firstly, I've likened the acute withdrawal phase to a severe psychomotor retardation associated with depression. The second, the middle withdrawal phase, I, I, I liken to a kind of a, a narcolepsy mimic because you do get this you get this alternating sleepiness, tiredness, or wakefulness, sleepiness, wakefulness that, that goes on throughout the day. And that, as, as you said, that can last for, for, for weeks. Uh, the second point I want to make is actually a question to you. What do you think about the role of temazepam or any other hypnosedative during that four weeks of withdrawal, uh, middle withdrawal phase, just to regulate someone's sleep. What's your view on that? <clears throat> My view is I've never prescribed it myself, and I don't know if I would, mainly because I think we're gearing the patient up for a potential dependence on hypnosedatives to, to aid with sleep thereafter. What, we're, what we've done after getting the patient um, through their withdrawal management with methamphetamines is weaned the patient off their, their dependence on one medication and using another medication as the the main stimulus to try and regulate the sleep cycle does gear the patient up for a hypnosedative dependence addiction. And we know that can occur after two to three weeks of regular use of those kind of medications. So I guess that's a very long way of saying I will not support it. Yeah. So then that, that then leads on to the next point of, you know, I personally use a combination of lifestyle interventions to help people learn how to regulate their own sleep cycle. Because um, you know, if, if people pe people really are troubled by this lack of uh, sleep regulation, and I think there's a there's a there's a couple of issues around this. That um, firstly, you need to get the light right. So people need to be um, they need to have exposure to bright morning light. They need to be able to exercise in the morning. They need to eat a good meal, you know, in the morning. And then they need absolute darkness. They need wind down time and then absolute darkness in the evening. And that then allows and facilitates the development of a natural sleep wake, a sleep wake cycle. The other, I suppose, as a, as a last resort, I would use melatonin to help people regulate sleep cycles in that regard. What's your view on A, lifestyle, and B, melatonin? Well, Fergal, my my answer to that question is I'm, I'm a big believer in lifestyle interventions in substance use disorders in general, but in particular for the questions that you've raised about sleep dysfunction in particular. I think there's good evidence for sleep hygiene measures that you've mentioned, and a short course of melatonin is certainly something that I've 
personally use to assist patients um, manage chronic insomnia. The role of melatonin in, say, a withdrawal unit for acute um, sleep disturbance is, is, is probably not, not present. But to try and um, help the patient reestablish those disordered circadian rhythms in conjunction with, with the um, techniques that you've mentioned uh, are certainly interventions that I support and have tried to utilise with some of my patients. And I guess moving on, I guess, from that middle phase, going to that late extinction phase, and this is the phase of the withdrawal which can last months, can you describe the late extinction phase of withdrawal um, for us in a bit more detail, Fergal? I think the late extinction phase can be characterised by two key words, craving and dysphoria. During this time, the, you know, it's, I, I liken this to the Gandalf's ankle. I don't know if ever you've watched Lord of the Rings, but when Gandalf was in the, the mines of Khazad-dûm and battling the Balrog, he defeated the Balrog, and, which fell over the precipice, but then the Balrog's whip caught Gandalf's ankle and pulled him down with it. This constant craving, this absolute dysphoria, is, is, the, peer, is the trigger for relapse. And I think up, up to about a year, patients are really vulnerable to the possibility of relapse. And think about it, because you've, you've got this constant craving, and you, you also have this absolute dysphoria, this complete lack of joy. Because remember, with methamphetamine use disorder, you've basically burnt out your nucleus accumbens, so you've, you find it very difficult to experience joy. Nothing makes you feel better except more methamphetamine. So it takes about a year for your brain to realize and to relearn the appreciation of normal, joyful experience. And whilst it's doing so, nothing gives you pleasure. You're constantly hungry for methamphetamine. And methamphetamine is the only thing that gives you any kind of respite from this joyless gray misery that you're in. So it, it is a high risk for relapse, and it requires significant, prolonged psychosocial support. Indeed, Fergal. And I think um, in that time period that you're talking about, the, the late phase of the withdrawal, I think that's really where those harm reduction measures that we hammer into our patients really take a, a, a lead in trying to prevent some of that relapse to methamphetamine use. So, and in particular, when we're talking about harm reduction interventions, we're, we're talking about managing potential lapses and trying to make sure lapses don't go into, into relapses. Um, and essentially, if a patient is going to use a single substance uh, or if patient is going to lapse, try not to use uh, uh, multiple substances per se, the, the safe injecting techniques um, that we've in, instructed our patients on um, and just the general education and, and uh, advice about minimizing the risks of bloodborne viruses, such as using sterile syringes from needle exchange programs and not sharing drugs or needles or any of that kind of um, high-risk behaviours. Would, would you agree with that in, in that time period? Because I think that's probably one of the time periods where we're going to increase the, um, the, the, the risk of harms, really. Yeah, so I think that uh, harm reduction measures cannot, the, the importance of these measures cannot be overstated during this period. Um, you know, you don't want a, a lapse to go into a relapse, and you don't want a lapse to lead to worsening comorbidity. Um, and, and, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things to really tr to draw out of that. I mean, you know, we, we need to be aware of the risk of hyponatremia. Um, you know, it's usually or more commonly associated with ecstasy, but certainly amphetamine use can cause hyponatremia, especially if you're drinking a lot of fluids. 
when you're dancing. So I have a golden rule of, uh, you know, if you're in a nightclub and you're taking amphetamines, don't drink any more than half a liter an hour if you're dancing or a quarter of a liter an hour if you're, um, if you're not dancing. Again, don't co-ingest other drugs. So, you know, we need to be wary of the potential risk for serotonin syndrome. Always carry condoms because we know that methamphetamine use can be the prelude to risky sex or chem sex. Don't share kit, have your own kit, rotate your veins, and you know, ultimately you need to give your body a rest. So I suppose the take home message from that is, you know, it's, you need psychosocial, intensive psychosocial support during that time and until you're completely over methamphetamine withdrawal. During that time, it's important to not let a lapse become a relapse. And during that time, it's important to not let a relapse or rather a lapse worsen comorbidity. Absolutely. And I guess in the episode of Cracking Addiction today, we've talked about the withdrawal management of methamphetamine. We've talked about the three phases of withdrawal, the acute phase, the middle withdrawal phase, the late extinction phase. And we've also spoken about harm reduction measures to try and uh, safeguard our patients during the late extinction phase. So we'd like to thank you for your attention on the episode of Cracking Addiction today, and bye for now.